Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Small towns and quiet villages... These are the places people reside in for safe and peaceful living. Overcrime knows no bounds, and sometimes the most violent acts happen in the least likely of places. Here are five creepy unsolved murders in quiet towns. Number five, tube sock killings. The tube sock killings happened in the remote area of Lewis and Pierce County in a small community of Mineral, Washington. It was December 12th of 1985 and 36-year-old Mike Reamer left home to check on the animal traps he had set around the Nisqually River. Reamer had always loved the woods. Even though he worked as a roofer during most months, every winter he would set traps around the river trying to capture minks, coyotes, and muskrats so that he could sell the furs to help supplement his income. On that day, he took his longtime girlfriend, Diana Robertson, and their young daughter, Crystal, with him, but all three would never return home again. 
That evening, two-year-old Crystal was found outside the entrance of a local Kmart a bit dazed, but otherwise unhurt. Two days later, her grandmother saw her photo on the local news and went to pick her up. When she asked her granddaughter where her mommy was, the little girl only managed to reply, Mommy was in the trees. A search and rescue operation was launched, hoping to find out what happened to the parents. It would be just over two months after the incident, on February 18th of 86, when Diana's body was found half buried in the snow, the tube sock wrapped tightly around her neck. It was near Mike's 82 Plymouth truck, and on the dashboard was a manila envelope with the words, I love you, Diana, supposedly written in Mike's handwriting. During the autopsy, it was discovered Diana had been stabbed 17 times. Police suspected the boyfriend since he was still missing. And it wouldn't be until 2011 when a partial piece of Mike's skull was found that police began to think otherwise. Although he was considered a suspect for years, it's now believed that Mike was also a victim of foul play, and that perhaps the killer might still be on the loose. What's most bizarre is that four months before their disappearance, another couple, Stephen Harkins, who was 27, and 47-year-old Ruth Cooper, were also reported missing. The two had gone camping for the weekend near Tool Lake in Pierce County, right near where Reamer had set his traps. When they didn't come home, they were reported missing, and four days later, Harkins' body was found still inside his sleeping bag. He'd been shot in the head, along with their dog who was found nearby. After two months, Cooper's skull was discovered, and soon after that, her body and purse were also found. Cooper had been decapitated, and her remains were one and a half miles away from that of Harkins'. The autopsy showed she had died from a gunshot wound to the abdomen, but she had suffered homicidal violence prior to it and also had a tube sock around her neck. Today, though, the murders of Cooper, Harkin, Reamer, and Robertson still remain a mystery. Nobody knows why they were murdered or who did it, and it's more than likely it'll stay that way. Number 4. Tina's Tires On June 24th of 1994, Tina Marcotti found herself stranded on the road with a flat tire. She had been a late shift worker for Black Hills Molding, a wood processing plant in Rapid City, South Dakota. With nowhere to go, she called her friend Vicky and asked to be picked up. However, while on the phone, Tina noticed a car driving up and told her friend she didn't need to come anymore because a co-worker, Tom Kiuter, would be giving her a ride. She thanked Vicky, hung up the phone, and that was the last time anyone would hear from her. The next day, Patrick, Tina's boyfriend, and Tom both showed up at Vicky's place. Vicky mentioned in the phone call and that Tina had mentioned a Tom from work. Although Tom initially denied it, he eventually said that he was the only Tom at the workplace, but he never admitted to giving Tina a lift. Patrick then asked if he and Tina were having an affair of some sort, which he passively denied. When police found Tina's car and checked the tires, they noticed it wasn't a regular flat tire, but instead it had been deliberately slashed, indicating foul play and the possibility of a murder. 
Tom voluntarily showed up for questioning, but again, denied he ever saw Tina that night. He said that he was at a softball game all evening, took a friend home, and fixed his car under a streetlight for several hours before going home at around 3.30 a.m. Tom's wife Nancy confirmed he did come home at that hour, but noticed he immediately washed his softball uniform and shoelaces. After three days, police paid Tom a visit at work, saying they found traces of blood inside his vehicle and would be testing it against Tina's blood. The next day at 9 a.m. during the shift change, incoming workers found Tom's head crushed by the rear wheel of his own forklift. Police believe he did it on purpose as an act of desperation after realizing that he would be linked to Tina's disappearance. And they believe that he intentionally overloaded his vehicle with lumber and took it up an incline before jumping out into its path. This would make it look like an accident and wouldn't hamper any insurance claims made by his family. However, his wife actually believes that he was murdered. In 1996, approximately 16 months after she went missing, Tina's body was found underneath a woodpile in the lumberyard where Tom used to work at the time. She was discovered to have died from blunt force trauma and that she may have been dumped there after being killed. Police believe it was Tom that murdered her and now consider the case closed. Number 3. Grand Prairie Killings Despite being a small size, the town of Grand Prairie has been earning a reputation as one of Canada's most dangerous places for some time. Robbery is rampant, shootouts common in crime steadily increasing. Thieves and criminals don't even wait for the cover of dark to do their deeds anymore. A rampant and constant slew of murders around the area has alarmed locals and law enforcement alike. Over the past century, this place has had its share of mysterious killings. For instance, there was the case of the 1918 mass murder where six immigrants were killed without anyone ever being arrested. All six men were found dead. Some were shot in the head and others stabbed. To this day, no one knows who killed the men or why. It remains one of Canada's biggest unsolved murders. Meanwhile, the Grand Prairie area is also believed to be a serial killer's hunting ground. As of August of 2016 and starting roughly around 1987, dozens of women, mostly aboriginal, have gone missing and then subsequently found murdered. Most of their bodies were then dumped in the outskirts and rural areas, including Grand Prairie. In the winter of 1987, the remains of three mutilated women were found just days apart from one another. A couple years later, another round of remains were found and then another. Similar to the situation in the Highway of Tears in British Columbia, the number of women found missing or murdered have soared throughout the years. The decomposed remains were often discovered months and even years after being killed, making crucial evidence impossible to find and identification difficult to trace. One of the more recent remains found in the Grand Prairie area was in 2011, and they were those of 19-year-old Renee Gunning and 16-year-old Crystal Knott. The two were last seen hanging out at the West Edmonton Mall along with two friends six years earlier. At some point, the friends left for a party while Crystal and Renee stayed behind 
That would be the last time the girls were seen alive. Their skulls were found by some people camping in the area. The girls disappeared just one month after 13-year-old Nina Corpat was lured from the West Edmonton Mall, assaulted, and killed by five people on a golf course. Project CARE, with a K, handled the investigation even though the girls were not suspected of being prostitutes, but instead because of the suspicious circumstances of their disappearance. In 2003, Project CARE was established to help collect identifying information for night workers in the area. It's estimated that over 1,200 women, mostly in high-risk lifestyles, have registered with the system of CARE. Some of the victims who have done so were also identified thanks to the information collected by the program. Number 2. Gregory Villman On October 16th of 1984, four-year-old Gregory Villman was playing in front of his house. The family lived in Vages, a mountainous area found in the eastern portion of France, right near the German border. Everything seemed well, but at around 5 p.m., Gregory's uncle received a disturbing call. A mysterious voice on the other end of the line said he had kidnapped the little boy, bound and drowned him in the Vologne River. Of course, worried, the family called police when they couldn't find their little boy. And true to what the caller said, they found young Gregory drowned in that river. His hands and legs had been bound by a cord. A woolen cap had been pulled over his face. The day after, Gregory's father, Jean-Marie, received an anonymous letter stating, I hope you die of grief, boss. Your money can't give you back your son. Here's my revenge. No one could identify the caller or trace the letter sender. For four years after Gregory's death, letters and calls from the supposed killer haunted the Villmans. They even recorded some of these calls, but... They always led to a dead end. And as for suspects, there were a few. The first was Jean-Marie's cousin, Bernard LaRoche. LaRoche's teenage sister-in-law testified that she saw him with Gregory that day. And handwriting experts compared his writing with that of the killer's letters and found similarities. Later on, the witness recanted her testimony, however, saying she was coerced by the police to say it was Bernard. A judge later set Bernard free, and on that same day, Jean-Marie proclaimed in front of the media that he would kill his cousin dead. And true to his word, he later shot his cousin while he was on his way to work. Jean-Marie served five years in prison for the crime, and after Bernard's death, the crow which was the name given by the anonymous caller and sender, sent another letter to Jean-Marie's parents. This has many people believing that Bernard was innocent, in fact, and that the killer was still out there. While Jean-Marie was serving time in jail, his wife Christine was next accused of being the killer. Several witnesses claimed seeing her at the post office that day, and that her handwriting also seemed to have similarities with that of the crow. The police detained her in December of 86, but eventually she was completely exonerated of any charges. Over the years, countless rounds of DNA testing as well as handwriting and voice analysis have been conducted on the evidence available, but with inconclusive results. 
This included DNA testing done on the stamp used in the letter in 2000. The quiet town of Vosges was once a picturesque place to see, but now for many, it only conjures up images and memories of the unsolved murder of little Gregory Villeneuve. Number 1. Below Store Murders With a population of only 4,000 people, Windsor, North Carolina is considered a sleepy, small town. But that would forever change on June 6, 1993. It was dusk and the below store closed early. The three of the store employees were wrapping up the day's work and three cleaning crew members arrived to help strip the floors. What the six of them didn't know was that they weren't the only ones inside that store. At about 6.30pm, the suspect showed himself. At gunpoint, he bound and tied up the victims in pairs using duct tape. He then led them to the back room, stacked them on top of each other, before he proceeded to shoot them. Police believe he may have done this, thinking he could save bullets by shooting through the victims. However, he realized that there were two people who were not wounded with this initial attack and had to change his plan. He then took a large knife from the store. When one victim tried to get away, he was hacked by the killer, causing several wounds to his throat. The attack was so violent, in fact, that the knife even broke off in the victim's back where it remained lodged. After he had finished his deed, the killer simply slipped out of the store and went on his merry way. One of the victims, though, managed to crawl to the front area and call 911. In the end, three people died, two were critically injured, and one, miraculously, was left unscathed. The victims described the killer as a black male with a medium complexion. He stood around six foot to six foot two and weighed around 170 pounds. He had a slender build with a military-type haircut, slanted eyes, and his nose looked like it may have been broken before. Soon after the crime, drifters and others were checked, but no one was able to point to or capture the culprit, though to this day, a $30,000 reward still stands for any information leading to the arrest of the Below Store Killer. So there were five creepy unsolved murders in quiet towns, They say don't judge a book by its cover. The next time you want to get away to a small safe haven town, or better yet, even move to one, remember these stories and know that you might just be heading to a very scary place. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, if you want more episodes like this, then go ahead and dig through our library. We have a lot more true crime for you and other weirder stories. If you want exclusive podcasts and to help support us, please check out our subscription link down below where you'll get access to a bunch of other content plus new exclusive podcasts each week. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.